Good morning, Bridge City Church. Merry Christmas. You can hear the voice. Merry Christmas. Welcome. Now that you can see me, welcome. So glad you all joined us this day after Christmas and uh, so excited about uh, what God is doing and what God's done throughout the year. And as we look to the end of the year, this is our last Sunday of 2021. I don't know if that's an amen or an ouch or a hallelujah, but I think we're all, we're all looking forward to turning the page, turning the calendar to next year and moving ahead. Amen. But God's done so many amazing things this past year, and actually uh, at, at staff with uh, Pastor Rick as our lead pastor, and he was asking the staff questions about, you know, reflecting on the year, good things that have happened, and I just had so many things that God was showing me that happened really good in my life, and I know that's not everybody's story, but uh, I, I wanted to see and look towards all the good things that God did, not just all the problems and the challenges. Those are easy to find, right? The, Turn on the news for 10 minutes. You'll find all the problems, more problems than you ever want to know about. But, but looking towards the past year, God was reminding me all these amazing things that happened in my life. And uh, one, of the, one of the big things, and actually before I jump into that, I want to mention uh, Pastor Rick is, is here today. For those of you who don't know, he's our lead pastor and our campus pastor. He's serving in the kids ministry with his wife, Natalie. So just love that our pastor is willing to do any job. There's nothing beneath him or anything he won't do for the church. So we can give him a hand for that and just... Uh, such a, a servant leader who leads by example. And as, I, as we looked over this past year, myself, over my past, this past year, I, one of the biggest things that happened was my wife uh, had our baby boy, Judah. And uh, he's here somewhere. Somebody's holding him. Mama's probably got him. But, uh, you know, it got me thinking about this message for today. And what I was really preparing, what felt God really wanted me to communicate was how we prepare for somebody's arrival. And, you know, I, I, it got me thinking of, Man, we didn't just sit back and wait to see what happens once baby came. We, we started really early, at least 20 weeks in, you know, you know the gender. You start like, okay, we got to get serious about what we need. We get the nursery together. We got to get the crib. You got to get changing table. You got to get diapers. You got to get wipes. You got to get clothes. You got to get the, the bassinet. You got to get diapers and wipes. I already say that. I feel like I'm just... We're six weeks in. There's a lot of diapers and wipes that go into to a newborn baby. But, you know, all the things that, that go into it, we, we want to be as prepared as possible. And so thankful to all of you who, who gave us gifts and helped us with the baby shower. And, I mean, you really are our family. And we have biological family as well, but this is where our family is. And and so proud of that, so happy about that. And uh, But we, we would talk with other couples. We would talk with other people who recently had babies. And so many of you gave us good advice. And it got me thinking, we, we put a lot of preparation into preparing for his arrival. And it got me thinking, what if we lived our lives in such a way that we were preparing for Jesus' arrival? Because the reality is, and the Bible's very clear, Jesus is going to return. He's, and he's not going to come maybe in the way we expect him to come, but he's going to return. And the question is for the day is, are we ready for him? Are we ready for his arrival or are we going to be caught with like, hold on, Jesus, I got some other things I want to do. Or Jesus, hold on, I got to get my life in order before you come. Or Jesus, hold on. But the Bible is very clear. It says that he's going to come like a thief in the night quickly, that he doesn't even know the time when he's coming. Only when the father in heaven will send the son will that happen. So none of us will be able to really know the exact moment that Jesus is going to return. But we do have the, the call. We do have the responsibility to be ready. Not, not getting ready, but to be ready. So when that day comes, we don't have to say, oh, I wish I would have done fill in the blank. Or, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done fill in the blank. We can, we can be ready. And this doesn't mean to be perfect. It just means be ready. Be in the right standing. Be in that right place that we're ready for God and for when Jesus returns. How many of you, if you know what it means, want revival? Revival, that's revitalization, life to de dead places, the newness. And most of us here, we, we want revitalization in the church. We want revival in our nation. We want revival in the world. We want Jesus' word, the word of God and his truths and the best truths to be spoken and preached and taught and grabbed a hold of and lived out throughout our nation and throughout our world. But it, it's not going to just happen on accident. It's not just going to happen if we just keep doing this long enough and eventually God's going to just return and it's all going to be over. That, that may be true ultimately that he's going to return. And what we can do though is it's not about what the world being changed. It's about what can we change in our world. How many people can we impact? How many people can we influence? And how do we live our lives in such a way that we can say, I'm ready for when Jesus returns. I'm ready. I don't, I, I don't want to be on the next bus home to heaven, but man, I, I feel like I'm ready. 
If Jesus were to say, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back today, I'm ready because I know who he is. I know what he's asked me to do and I feel like I'm, I'm doing it to the best of my ability. And I believe he gives us new grace and new levels of grace to continue doing and stepping into new things that he's asking us. But it's not gonna happen with another New Year's resolution, trying a little harder. It takes us really asking the question, what are we willing to do and what are we going to do to be people who prepare the way for Jesus's return, who prepare for him to return? And one of the people in the Bible that we're gonna highlight today is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he was doing it before he was even born, in a, in a sense from the womb, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, as the way, the truth, the life, as we just sang. John the Baptist lived his life in such a way that you can't, you can't argue that he didn't do everything he could to point people to Jesus and to the ways of God. And just for those of you who might not know, John the Baptist isn't called the Baptist like we know of Baptist as a Christian denomination today, but he was known more, more accurately would be John the Baptizer because he baptized a lot of people. They confessed their sins and they baptized them in the water. That's why he's called John the Baptist. Before we jump in the text, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, for your son. God, we thank you for what we got to celebrate yesterday in the season, God, the birth of your son. God, that you left heaven to come to earth for us. God, I don't know, we can't even comprehend the totality of that miracle and that wonder, God, but I pray that wonder and the reason for this Christmas would not just leave us when the page turns and the next week turns or life gets back to normal and work, but God, that we'd hold on to the wonder and the reason for this Christmas season. God, that we'd celebrate you and we'd celebrate what you have done each and every day for the rest of our lives. God, may we not just celebrate you once a, once a year or even once a week, God, but each and every day. And God, I pray you'd speak through me this morning. God, that there's a room full of great people here who need to hear from you. God, more than me, God, I want them to hear your word. So Holy Spirit, would you speak this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, John the Baptist and Jesus had a lot in common. In fact, uh, they were both conceived miraculously. In Luke, Luke 1, it says Elizabeth, the mother of John, was unable to conceive and very old. Mary was young and a virgin, the mother of Jesus. Both of them shouldn't have gotten pregnant. Yet God has a way of making a way when there is no other way. Amen? God has a way of doing something that we can't take credit for. Elizabeth was very old in years and hadn't been able to conceive, yet God did a miracle. God did something that nobody thought was possible. Mary, a virgin, young, unmarried, was able to conceive a child as well. Both uh, John and Jesus' parents received an angel, a visit from the angel Gabriel. John was the cousin of Jesus. They're both very close in age. Their pregnancies, their mom's pregnancies were six months apart. So there's a lot of similarities in John and Jesus. And we see John started his life ahead of Jesus, about six months ahead. He lived his life ahead of Jesus. He began his ministry before Jesus. And yet he died before Jesus. All these things that John did was in preparation for Jesus' coming. It was all in preparation. The messenger came first, then the Messiah, then the chosen one, the, the anointed one came after the messenger. We don't know a whole lot about John's life and about uh, how he grew up or anything about him. But we do see him when he appears preaching the coming Messiah in Mark chapter 1. And it's interesting, I find it fascinating, the, the birth of Jesus, the, the Christmas story, is only shared in two of the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yet all four of the Gospels talk about John the Baptist. It's, it's fascinating to me of how important it was that God wanted us to know, to grab a hold of the life of John the Baptist and what he preached in his ministry, and how he prepared the way for Jesus. In Luke 1.15, and I don't believe it's on the screen. I wrote this down this morning. But it says, speaking about John, it says, He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the Father to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Such an amazing thing to be spoken about John the Baptist, right? I imagine this, this is what uh, the angel spoke to Zechariah, John's father, when he was in the temple. And I just think of Zechariah, and sometimes I, I like to imagine the what ifs. And I think of Zechariah raising John the Baptist. And I wonder, did he have terrible twos? 
I mean, he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. This, all these great things about the power and spirit of Elijah. I'm sure sometimes mom's like, there's that spirit and power that's just so strong, right? That, that, re, that nature of the child. I'm sure he was a normal child growing up. I'm sure he wasn't perfect in every way. Yet we don't know that for sure. So I don't want to tell you something that might not be true. But I just think, man, what if he was your son? What if that was your child, that this is the promise spoken over your child, that he's going to be prepare the way for people to come to the Lord? How many of you parents out there want that to be said about your children? I know I do for mine that, that I want my child to be raised up to be a man or woman of God. I have two sons. I want them to be men of God, not just children their whole life, but to be people that lead others to Christ. In fact, when John starts preaching, there had been four, over 400 years of silence in Israel. No prophet had been sp- spoken since Malachi. Yet John breaks the silence from God to his people. Imagine that, 400 years of silence. God's not speaking to the people, not in anything that we have recorded. And in a moment, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he begins proclaiming, preaching. He breaks the silence for the people. And that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. See, John was somebody who was, if many of you know a little bit about John the Baptist, he lived out in the wilderness. He he embraced the, the wilderness lifestyle. Many of you probably want to embrace the wilderness lifestyle a little more, especially in the last couple of years, right? Just to get away from it all, get away from the world, get away from all the worldly influences, turn off the TV and the social media. I'm sure he canceled his Facebook account and just went out in the wilderness. He probably never signed up on Facebook. I know he didn't sign up, but he, you know, he lives out in the wilderness and he began preaching. What's the very first thing that he preaches? Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's fulfilling the prophecy, this this quotation, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him, is Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3, that it's it's prophesied about all the way back in Isaiah's time. The prophet Isaiah was speaking ahead to the future time when somebody was going to come to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This is John the Baptist. He's fulfilling this prophecy. The very first thing he preached, repent of your sins. You know, the very first thing Jesus preached that we have recorded Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Exact same words recorded in Matthew that, G, that John the Baptist preached, that Jesus preached. What an amazing testimony that John has that Jesus was copying him. I don't know if he was copying him, but the same spirit that was given. That was a funny. I'm supposed to laugh. But, but John, John came first. Thank you for appeasing me. John, John came first in so many ways. His life, his ministry, even his death. What he preached was what Jesus preached after him. He preached, he preaches, but very, very quickly, you know, what, what comes to mind? You don't have to give an answer, but what comes to mind when you hear repent? Usually we hear, I hear it in that voice sometimes, repent, <laughs> repent of your sins, right? And we, it's, repentance isn't just to make us feel bad. Repentance isn't a shame or guilt or, or just all negative and stop sinning. Don't do that. How many of you know when you tell your kids stop doing something, they do it even more? Why would it be any different for us? I'm saying kids, trying to help you guys, adults. You know, we do the same thing. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't put that place. Don't go. And we always want to do what we're not allowed to do. It's not just a don't sin, but there's so much a better opportunity. It says, turn from sin and turn to God. Turn to God. There's a, such a better route than just turning from sin, because if you don't have something to turn to, you'll just go right back to that same sin, or you'll pick up another sin. It's a better, fruitful lifestyle, one that pleases God. Repentance, true repentance is, is a changed heart, a changed life. It's a, it's a new commitment. Going one direction and then you stop and you say, I'm no longer going to go this direction. I'm going to go a new direction, a new commitment to God. I'm no longer going to do the things of my old self, my old past, my old stinking thinking. I'm going to have a new life, a new focus, a new horizon that I'm going to be set on. That's what re- true repentance is. We must acknowledge, though, that there is sin in our lives. We have to. It's so easy to brush it under the rug or just put it aside and pretend that sin doesn't exist. Or we call it something else. That's just the way he is. Oh, well, that's how he was raised. Or that's how she was raised. Or that's, just, that's okay. Most of my friends do that, too. 
We, we say all these things to pacify and, and to justify sin. And the truth of the matter is the Bible's very clear that God hates sin. We should too. And when we deny the truth and the reality that we all have sin, myself included, John the Baptist had sin. We all have sin in our lives. And the reality is we need to confess it, acknowledge it, and return from it. The, the longer we hold on to it thinking, well, I can walk with Jesus. I can come to church. I can go to connection group. I can do good deeds. I can serve at the shelter. I can give food boxes. And we're holding this sin on us. It holds us back. It holds us down. And we pretend that it's not there. You know, you're only as sick as your secrets are. You're only as sick as your secrets. We must confess them. And that doesn't mean you post them online. In fact, I tell you, please do not post them online. But you need a somebody. Start with God. The Bible says we confess our sins to God. He is faithful to forgive us. It starts with God. Confess your sins to him. Get on your knees before him and say, God, I'm sorry I screwed up again. God, I'm sorry I did this thing again. God, I'm sorry I had this thinking again. God welcomes us and he's pleased when we return to him. But we must admit that we all have sin. And we must admit that we have sin that we need to repent of. But true repentance produces fruit. And there's joy in the fruits of repentance. There's true joy when we turn from, turn from our sin, we turn towards God. When it's no longer just a list of don'ts, it's no longer a list of you can't do this, it's a list of, guess what, you get to do these things. You get to serve. You get, God allows me to serve in his house. God allows me to, to carry his Holy Spirit who dwells within me. How, God, how could you allow us to do this when we're flawed and failed people? It humbles me every time I think, God, you allow me to serve in your church. God, you allow me to be a part of people's lives, being changed and transformed. God, you even just allow me to, to live this life that I don't deserve, that I have so many things to be grateful and thankful for. We have so many things to be thankful for, and yet we so quickly forget them, right? The grass is always greener on the other side, always trying to keep up with somebody else has. Instead of saying, God, you've blessed me so much. You've blessed me even just salvation. It was the only thing he ever did. And he never answered another prayer. It's more than enough. More than we deserve. So John preaches repentance. Then Jesus preaches repentance. But even, even though John came first in so many respects, Jesus was always still more important. And John got that. He knew that. Even later he says that he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to carry. He continue, we continue about John in verse four. John's clothes were woven. This is, most people know about John. He, was, he wore coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. If out in the wilderness, there's not a lot of food. There's not a lot of convenience stores or Walmarts to go shopping at. That he, he had to eat whatever he could find. He, he ate locusts, which are usually in abundance out in the wilderness. He found wild honey. He ate the things that he could get a hold of. What I hear and see with this is he lived such a simple life. How many of you want a more simple life? Right, man, we, we get so caught up in running around and going to activity to activity and trying to keep up with everything that's going on. And man, what if we just got back to the simplicity of life? The simple life of God, what do you want from me? And help me, help me have the grace to walk in it. Help me have the grace to walk in it. And in John, we see he has this coarse camel hair and he wore this leather belt, which is very similar to Elijah in the past. In the Old Testament, we read about how he was dressed as well. But people, this guy is like so radical, right? And, and he, he's not your typical guy you look up to. Yet we see in verse 5, people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. When they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, most of our culture today, the church, they see the pastor that's wearing a nice suit, everything's clean and polished, driving a nice car. That's the one that people flock to. Now imagine if we wore camel hair and leather belt and ate locusts and honey. How many people would keep coming? Probably not a lot, to be honest, because our culture looks at that as like, that guy's crazy. I don't trust anything he says, right? You've seen, at least in the movies, maybe not in real life, the guys who hold the signs in the street corners repent for the, the heaven, kingdom of heaven is near, right? Turn or burn. Those are the signs that those guys were carrying. We're like, that guy's crazy. He's pushing people away. He's doing, and you know what? I used to say that too, and I say, you know what? I like the way he's doing it. A lot better than most people are not doing it, right. right? At least he's trying. I believe there's a genuineness to them. I don't, I personally don't think that's the best method, but hey, Maybe it works. Maybe it does something for some people. But John, we see his life, he's, he's set apart. 
He's living apart from the world. He's living a life that's really holy and pure and righteous in so many ways. He, he was keeping himself from the worldly influences. He was able to baptize the people, not to forgive them of their sins, but because they were confessing their sins and seeking repentance. See, the baptism and what John was doing wasn't forgiving their sins. He was simply as, uh, helping them identify outwardly with what God was doing on the inside. Their confession of their sins and their genuine repentance fought, preceded their baptism. That's the same way we do it here at Bridge City Church. Where we believe biblical baptism is confessing our sins, true and genuine repentance, having fruits of repentance, a changed lifestyle. We celebrated baptisms just a week ago right here where three ladies were baptized. They, they showed genuine repentance. They said, I don't want to do this, live this old lifestyle. I'm going to walk a new lifestyle. I'm going to walk with God. Not perfect, but seeking true repentance and seeking to be right with God every step of the way. We continue in verse 7. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, when John saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming in to watch him baptized, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. See, John was, was, spoke very harshly to these religious leaders, a brood of snakes. If you don't understand the context, that's a pretty bad statement to say to somebody, especially in their context. They knew what this meant. This was a, a, a really down uh, derogatory phrase to speak to them. And he said this, but they were, because many of them were teaching the law and ways of God, but living differently. All are welcome to the kingdom of heaven. Even these religious leaders, even these Pharisees and Sadducees were welcomed, but he questioned them and asked them, prove the way that you live. Prove by how you live that you've repented of your sins. See, Jesus spoke later in Matthew 21, verse 32, that they refused to believe. They refused to repent of their sins. Speaking specifically with these religious leaders. See, nobody's too far from God to turn and come to him. Nobody is too far gone, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought, no matter what is in your past, nothing is too far, nothing is too much for God to, re to, to recover, redeem you from. But it must start with us repenting of our sins, saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I'm not just that I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep on doing it. God, I'm sorry, I never wanna do it again. I wanna walk the walk and walk the walk that Jesus walked. It continues in verse nine. He says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the ax of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. This is so key. This is so crucial. What he's saying, this, this phrase, you don't just say to each other, we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. Many people in the United States, and I, I don't want to speak bad about other churches or other denominations, but many people, I believe, in the United States American church is deceived in thinking they're going to heaven because they're a good person. They're deceived because they do some good deeds, more good deeds than bad deeds. Or they're saved because their parents went to church and they were always brought to church or they had a, a holy communion or one time they were prayed for or baptized as a baby. All that stuff is good, but none of it is enough to get you to heaven because only Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Only through Jesus Christ, through the forgiveness of his shed blood, the forgiveness of your sins through his shed blood is the only way. He even says to them that God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Children of Abraham, being followers, being uh, a Christian, American Christian, what we call attending church doesn't mean you're saved. And I, I am scared to death for so many people who think they're going to heaven and they're deceived because they don't have a genuine repentance. They never had a, a, a transformation, a, a point of, of life change. If you're doing and speaking and acting the same way you were before you were saved, you're probably not saved. And I hope and pray that the fear of God is upon you, that you're not really saved. It's not to scare you into, oh no, what do I do wrong? It's to say, no, you need to get right with God. It's not me putting condemnation on you. It's saying, we all need to continue to repent. We all need to continually turn to God each and every day, if not minute by minute. But there's nothing more important than making sure that you're absolutely certain you're gonna spend eternity in heaven, not because of your good deeds, not because of who your parents were, not because you go to church, but because you've accepted the bloodshed from Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven, that he becomes the forgiver of your past and now it's gonna lead, lead you into your future, that you call him Lord. 
Jesus says that the end, end times, the time of judgment, he says, those who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. See, calling him Lord, Lord, acknowledging who he was doesn't get you to heaven. It's being a follower of him, accepting his forgiveness, accepting that, that free gift of eternal life that only comes from his forgiveness. See, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And this sounds so harsh, but it's true. It's a reality that the judgment of God is coming. We don't need to fear it when we know we're going to stand on that day when he returns, prepared for his arrival, when Jesus returns, we're not being afraid and not a, not a wishy-washy, I hope I get to go to heaven. It should be a confidence that I know that I know that I know I'm going to spend eternity with God the Father because of what Jesus Christ the Son did for me. And that's the only way we get to heaven. This language that the axe is poised, it's ready to cut down any tree that does not produce good fruit. In the Greek text, it, it's not like God's winding up the axe. It says the axe is already at the root. The time is near. There's an urgency about it. That the axe is about to cut down anything that does not produce good fruit. And it's not like trimming and pruning the branches. It's cutting off the root. And when you cut off the root, the tree dies. He even says that it will be root removed and thrown into the fire. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The urgency should be upon our lives. Not saying, well, I'll stop sinning eventually. I'll start doing things the right way eventually. Many of my friends, younger, growing up, they said, well, once I have kids, I'll start doing the right thing. Once I, once I have grandkids, I'll start doing the right thing. Once I retire, I'll start doing the right thing. And when, when is the time ever gonna come? We don't have the choice to choose when we get to become. We do have the choice, but you don't always have the choice of time, uh, how long you'll be here. He could return tonight. He could return today. I want to be ready when he comes, not getting ready, but being truly ready. Many people in the United States especially are simply acknowledgers of Jesus, not followers of Jesus. And we all, every one of us, myself included, need to continually examine our lives and say, God, help me where I'm just acknowledging you and truly follow you. God, help me, help me know where I'm lukewarm in some areas and help me get on fire for you. God, help me rejuvenate the fire within me that once was there. If you've never had that fire, good chances are you haven't had it yet. And it's okay. It's, it's, it's a choice to keep seeking him, to repent and to keep seeking repentance. One of the best ways that I find clarity with God and, and really seeking him is through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting we do as a church corporately every January. In fact, we have uh, two weeks from now, January 9th, we have seven days of prayer and fasting. Seven days we're gonna do as a church to, to pray in the fast, to seek God together. We'll have some things we send out to let everyone know how you can join us in praying as one church, as one body. But what is fasting? Most of you know prayer is communicating with God, speaking to him, hearing from him. But fasting is going without food or other distractions for spiritual purposes. Now, you can go without food. That's called dieting. Many of us probably should do it. I'm speaking to myself. Many of us should, should go without some food or some cookies. I'll admit my sins, confess my sins first. You know. But the true fasting is, is going without food and denying your, your flesh, going without distractions, getting off social media, turning off the TV, turning off secular radio. But going without food does something so much deeper that telling your flesh to not eat is really hard. Can I get an amen? amen? Telling your flesh you're not going to eat this week is very hard. And I encourage you, if you've never done this before, we have resources on our website. If you go to bridgecitypgh.com, and you might want to write this down if you want more input, it's bridgecitypgh.com slash fasting. And there's some resources on there. You can Google stuff. Uh, there's different types of fasting. But what this is, it, it's not just giving up something. A lot of times we focus on, well, I'm giving up sugar, I'm giving up coffee, giving up snacks, giving up whatever it is. Instead, we need to be focused on what do we get from fasting? We get clarity from God. We get a closeness, a closer communion with God. And, and, and there's a power that comes with it. And that's what we have at the end of the prayer and fasting on that Saturday. We have a power conference. That Saturday, so you can write this down, it's in three weeks from now. January 15th from 9 a.m. to 12.15 at our North Braddock campus. What this is, it's a training and equipping time. If you've never understood or want to understand more of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how spiritual gifts work and operate today, these, these will be uh, sessions and there's teachings, completely free, just show up, there's no food because we're fasting, but completely free to show up and learn. Learn how you are gifted, that God has given you spiritual gifts. Are you operating and using them on a daily basis? 
Most of us aren't. And this is a way, a way that we can be trained and equipped on how to use our, our spiritual gifts so that we can see more of the power and presence of God in our culture. We're not going to change the whole world. I don't, I don't believe we're going to change the whole world, but we can change the world around us. We can impact Murraysville and Delmont and Export and Monroeville and the surrounding areas. We can make a difference in each and every one of our communities, in our workplaces. But it starts with us seeking God, praying and fasting, getting, becoming one with God, getting on the right page and using our gifts with power and his presence. We continue in verse 11. He says, I baptize with water. This is John. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing floor, threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. There's a lot in these couple of verses. The first one, just seeing that John, John had a big following. He had a large, large crowds that would come and hear him and see him from all over the region. Yet he knew it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. There's one coming that's greater than I am, one that I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. That's how I feel. I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to be a follower of yours, God, to, to, to be used by you to expand your kingdom. I'm, I'm not worthy of any of that. Yet he chooses to use failed and flawed people to do and serve his purposes in the earth. That should give us all hope. That should give us excitement. I'm not perfect. None of us are. Even the greatest preachers and speakers aren't, the, aren't perfect. But yet God uses us to, meet, to impact people's lives all around us. When we say, God, use me. God, would you use me? And we continue to point people to Jesus like John did. He says he will baptize in the Holy Spirit with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat. Now, many of you probably have never harvested wheat, but if you have, you understand what I'm saying. But there's a winnowing fork, and it's, a, it's an illustration. A winnowing fork would be what tosses the wheat up in the air, in the threshing area. Now, the wind would blow the chaff away. It was real light. It was useless. It wasn't really good for anything. It would blow the chaff away, and the wheat would fall to the ground. The wheat was the prized possession. The wheat's what the, the farmer wanted because it could be harvested. It could be used for bread. It, it produced life. It had value to be sold. There's, there's so much good in the wheat. And it says he'll clean up the threshing area. And I believe there's a, there's a sifting that's coming. There's a sifting that's gonna come on, on judgment day. There's a sifting of, of what have we done with our lives to produce something? Are we producing good fruit or bad fruit? How do you tell what type of tree, when you see a tree, how do you tell what type of tree it is? by what fruit's on the tree, right? And what type of fruit are we producing? Are we producing eternal fruit or are we just producing fruit that's gonna wither away and be burned up like chaff? I wanna be someone who, who has wheat left over. When Jesus is done tossing and sifting through what I've done with my life, I want there to be wheat left over, something of value, something that's gonna last the test of the fire to come. And it's not to, not to cause us to be in fear, it's to give us hope and excitement and joy that God, you... You want to see us produce good fruit. And he gives us the ability to do it. He gives us his Holy Spirit. If you were here on our candlelight service, we heard a lot about the Holy Spirit is God with us and God for us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit as our helper. We're not left to our own devices, but we have the Holy Spirit with us. And see, John the Baptist, he got this. He understood this. And, you know, I think about John the Baptist's life. It was really short. If you think about it, Jesus was crucified about 33 years old and John was killed before that. So he's a young man by any standards and this guy lived so radically, right? He lived out in the wilderness eating bugs. I don't know about you, but I, I haven't eaten bugs for God yet. But, you know, eating bugs and, and not, not participating in the pleasures of the world, right? And, and so much of culture today says, well, you deserve to be pleasure. You deserve to, to be pampered. You deserve, I'm like, no, we deserve hell because we all have sin. Yet God's grace abounds so that we don't have to go to hell and we can enjoy things in life. We can enjoy things uh, that are good and pleasing in this life. But John the Baptist, he had such a short ministry. If you think about from when he started preaching to when he died, he had such a short ministry. But does anybody call him a failure? Would any of you consider John the Baptist someone who wasn't successful with, with the things of God? 
No, he, he's such a man of God. He was such a, a man sold out for the mission and purposes of God, pointing people to Jesus, preparing the way, living so separate from the rest of the world. If anybody could be upset with God that they got the raw end of the deal, it would be John the Baptist, that he denied himself everything this earth had to offer for the purposes of God. And I, I can't imagine him sitting in prison, about to be beheaded, thinking, God, God is this, this is what I get for all I've done for you? And his head ends up on a platter. If you've ever got to that place where you say, God, I'm doing all this for you. Is this all I get? Put yourself in John the Baptist's shoes. There's not really a comparison, right? What we do for God is never wasted. He uses it, even if we don't get to receive it or see it, God uses it for his good, for his glory, for his kingdom. Never lose sight of that because we don't always get to reap the rewards on this side of heaven. But there's rewards in heaven for everything we do and everything we sacrifice here on earth. Even when John was in prison, he pointed his disciples. He sent his disciples to Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 7 says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you see when you went to the wilderness? These are Jesus' words. Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare the way before you. Jesus confirms what Matthew has already recorded. And then verse 11, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. How many of you would like Jesus to say that about you? Yes. He already said it, but you know, he could say it again. But Jesus, these are Jesus' words talking about John the Baptist, that there's no one, no one, none is greater than John the Baptist. Of all born of women, no one is better than him. What an amazing legacy. What an amazing testimony that John the Baptist has that we can look back to see how he was looking ahead to prepare the way for somebody's arrival for Jesus's arrival. We know how much our nation, our neighbors, our families, our coworkers, our world needs Jesus. And it's easy to say somebody else is gonna do it, right? Well, we just gotta get the right Supreme Court nominees in. We just gotta get the right president and the senators and get Congress and the government will take care of it. How's that been working out for us? Right, get the right world leaders and they'll, they'll fix it. That's not been going so well. Or we say, well, the pastors and the the people speaking, they'll do all the work. They'll get it done. That's not working either because it's not just about one person or about a couple people. It's about all of us. It's about all of us coming together saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to live in such a way that we prepare the way, not just for ourselves to be ready when Jesus returns, but to get other people prepared as well? See, John the Baptist didn't do it for himself. He did it for the the crowds and the thousands of people that came after him, that were baptized by him in preparation for the way of Jesus. In order to point people to Jesus, we must first repent of our sins and turn to God. You know, it's something I do every single day. No matter how small or big a sin seems in my life, I say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I thought about somebody. I'm sorry for the the attitude I had. I'm sorry that I've been ungrateful or unthankful for something. I say, God, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to to have the right attitude. I want to have a a joyful attitude. I want to have a thankful attitude. I want to have a, a heart that's pleasing to you and my actions are pleasing to you. Every single day we can, and we need to, ask God for forgiveness. What he did on the cross, his, his blood shed for us and going to the grave and raising back, back to life, that's, that settles it. That everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do is forgiven by that blood if you accept it. But each and every day, we still need to go to him and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I, I don't wanna go back this way. I wanna, I wanna go this way now. I wanna go the right way. I wanna seek you and follow you. Maybe you have an addiction in your life. Alcohol, food, cookies 
You know, we laugh about it, but in reality, it's, a, it's something that can be a sin in our life. TV, social media, whatever it is. Some are, are insidious because they don't seem that bad because everyone accepts that behavior. But gluttony is still a sin. I know I'm hitting you pretty hard because we're coming off of Christmas, but it's, you know, it's still a sin. And the reality is we can still say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I've been feeding my flesh. I need to feed my spirit. God, help me get right with you. And the beautiful thing is his mercies are new each and every morning. Each and every day his mercies are new. That's worth celebrating. You see, we do this with great hope, with great joy, with a heart that says, God, I want to say yes to whatever you say to me. So how do we prepare the way? I want to leave you with three things. Let's reflect. Reflect on what Jesus has done for us. I know for me, it's I got lots of big things that happened this past year. Family members that got saved. I got to baptize my 11-year-old son. We have a new baby. So many things. I'm just flooded with all the good things that God has been doing in my life. And I bet if you really reflect and say, God, show me the good things. God, remind me of the things you've done in my life. He'll bring them to your attention. He'll remind you. We forget those ones so quickly, but we remember all the bad ones, right? Maybe ask your, the person living with you or somebody close to you. Say, help me remember all the good things. Help me remember the, the positive things that have happened this past year. Reflect on, on what Jesus has done for you is in salvation and providing you so many things that God is our provider. You live in the United States with all these freedoms, as jacked up and screwed up as it is, we still live in the best country in the world. I believe that. Then we need to repent. We need to turn not just from sin, but to God. Repent to God. Say, God, help me walk with you. Help me be yoked with you, side by side, doing life with you. Not just serving you to earn some good deeds or earn some good points, but doing it with him. Repent from our sins and walking with him. Even if you've repented of something a thousand times, keep repenting, keep turning to God. He's pleased when you return to him. And then number three, renew your passion for Jesus. Renew that passion, reignite that fire. I know for me, sometimes this may help you very practically. I'll watch a, a clip from Passion of the Christ where Jesus is being whipped and scorched. Some people say, wow, like you watch that? I'm like, I watch that because it gets me focused back on why I exist. That he didn't do that just for me to have a, a nice American dream. He did that so that we could expand the kingdom of God here on earth. He went through everything he went through, physically, emotionally, spiritually, the weight of the world's sins upon him. Not just for us to have a nice day or a nice week, but to have a life fruitful, producing good fruit so that other people could experience God as well. There's joy when we truly renew that passion within us. We remind ourselves what Christ has done. We repent and we say, God, use me. He'll use you. Don't look at your flaws. He'll see those flaws and say, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you how powerful and mighty I am with those flaws you do have. He'll show off how big and how glorious he is because he uses flawed people. You know, it was about seven years ago, so I was reflecting on this Christmas. About seven years ago, Christmas was always not the happiest time for me. I know that's many of you, your stories. And I always look, look towards New Year. Like there's hope right around the corner. Just that January 1st, new page, new year, new start, fresh start. And every year I would look back on my year and go, man, I screwed up so many times. I screwed up so much. God, would you just give me a fresh start on January 1? The key is you don't have to wait till January 1. You can have a new start right here and right now. Would you all please stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for everyone in the room. And um, so I'm going to ask you, and let's just be real. We all have things we need to repent of. But I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hands. And I'm asking everybody because we all have something. And I just want to pray for you. Father God, I pray for each and every person here today, God. God, for each and every hand up just as a, as a symbol of surrender to you, God. God, we all have things that we need to repent of. God, that we need to turn from. But God, I pray greater than that, God, we turn towards you. God, as we end 2021 and look to next year, God, may we not just look for a good year, a good week, God, but we'd look for a good life spent in eternity with you. God, that we live our lives in such a way that we prepare the way for others. 
to experience you the way we've experienced you. God, for other people to be free from their bondages, free from their sin, free from sickness, God, that we would be people who carry the power and presence of God with us. God, you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, to use us, to bring you glory and expand your name. God, I pray for each and every person here, God, that we would, we would truly reflect on what you've done for us. God, that it would stir faith to rise, that it would stir hope to rise, that it would stir joy and a celebration to rise within our souls. God, knowing that we don't deserve anything good, but you pour yourself out for each one of us. God, may you renew that passion within each one of us. God, that passion, that fire that comes from your Holy Spirit, reminding us of what you've done. God, as we repent and turn towards you, may you use each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have one more thing to offer. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't know for sure that I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven. That I don't know with absolute certainty, not a hope, not a wishy-washy hope, but a confident hope that you are gonna spend eternity in heaven forever because of what Jesus Christ has done. Not just acknowledging him, but truly following him. If that's you today, I wanna pray for you a special prayer. I just need you to slip up your hand. I wanna pray for you right where you are. Anybody else, you say, I I need Jesus Christ to be the forgiver of my past and the leader to my future. I don't wanna be lukewarm anymore. I wanna be a follower of him. Thank you. Anyone else? Anybody else? Father God, I pray right now, God, that your forgiveness exceeds and goes beyond anything we've ever done, ever thought of, or ever will do. Father, I thank you for your redeeming grace. God, I thank you that you, you make us new like white as snow. God, you take away our old filthy rags and you make us beautiful and whole and redeemed, set back to our original intended purpose. God, and I pray, God, each and every one of us would hold on to that truth that you can use us to expand your kingdom. And God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for for genuine repentance. God, for genuine change. God, remind us of whose we are because of who you are. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You could be seated. We have an opportunity to give to some ministries. Uh, We have a video to share with you. We shared on our candlelight service. So let's take a look. This time of year is often referred to as a season of giving. We wrap up all the presents and place them under the Christmas tree to then give them away to friends and family. And we do all of this in remembrance of the greatest gift of all, Jesus, who came to earth to save us from our sins. So in this season of giving, we as a church have an opportunity to give a gift so much more valuable than anything you'll find under your tree this year, the gift of life. We are giving towards two incredible organizations that are located right here in Pittsburgh, Women's Choice Network and Embrace Grace. If you didn't know, one in four pregnancies ends in abortion. And unfortunately, the abortion rate is the same inside the church as it is outside. Having an unplanned pregnancy can be so scary, and many who experience one feel like they have no options, no help, and no other choice but to terminate their pregnancy. Fear and shame can lead women to make decisions they eventually regret. However, statistics show that 85% of women who have an ultrasound end up choosing life for their unborn child. So Women's Choice Network provides this and many other services to abortion-vulnerable women. Their vision is to defend unborn children, meet the needs of those at risk and unprepared for pregnancy, heal those traumatized by abortion, and provide a biblical view of sexuality. They have four medical clinics across the city of Pittsburgh that provide pregnancy testing, STD testing and treatment, sonograms, medical consultation, and other life-saving options to abortion, all at no charge. Giving Towards Women's Choice Network will provide much-needed support to a faith-based organization that since 1985 has provided life-affirming pregnancy services to thousands of families in Pittsburgh. Embrace Grace is an organization that equips churches to love and support the single and pregnant young women in their communities. Their mission is that every young woman who experiences an unplanned pregnancy would have a safe church to turn to for healing, hope, and help in her local area. At Embrace Grace, they know that single moms need discipleship from the local church in order to really thrive as a single mother. They focus on creating spiritually healthy moms who are able to raise spiritually healthy children. Since Bridge City Church launched our Embrace Grace group, we have seen moms choose life because of it. 
When you give to Embrace Grace, you're not just giving to a Christ-centered pro-life organization, but you're giving to moms right here in our communities who will know there is someone there to support, love, and truly be there for them. Let's listen to this story from Jen, who attends Embrace Grace, and now, because of that, also attends our Murraysville campus. What's your name, and why do you want to get baptized? My name is Jen, and I want to be baptized because God saved me from a 17-year-long heroin addiction. Amen. My father and my mother met while he was in prison. Um, I didn't meet him until I was like seven years old, and when he got back home, he was very abusive. And then if my mom tried to like stick up for me, um, he, would, he would hurt her too. And then she eventually got on drugs. Um, and then started feeding them to me by the time that I was like 12 years old, just for like little things, you know, I had anxiety or I had a headache or a boyfriend broke up with me, just things like that. Then things started getting really, really bad. And by the time I was 15, I was using hard drugs. And you know, I don't have any family, I don't have any friends. Um, burned them all out anyways through, through my addiction. So when I got pregnant with Lydia, I had nothing for this child. Like literally I had nothing. I had barely had any clothes for myself. So I get to embrace Grace through a friend of mine and they made me feel so, so at home, but accepted at the same time. Like I knew I could tell my story to these people and work on myself and my relationship with God. One thing that I really did appreciate about Embrace Grace is how each team leader, each person, in the group took time out of their day every single day, not just the days of the sessions or, or whatever, it was every single day to check on me. And they built a relationship with me, um, like a real relationship with me. So 12 weeks go by, I'm really, really bonded to these ladies. And they, they, they're telling me, we're gonna throw you your baby shower, we're gonna throw you your baby shower. I've never had one before, I don't know really what all that entails, but I got to create a Target baby registry. I've never been able to do that. And then slowly I'm watching as you know each item is being just checked off the list. That means these people have gotten to know me and they loved me and they loved my child and they wanted to make sure that Lydia had what she needed. And that to me, it means everything because I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I said, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And then I walk into my baby shower and it's beautiful. I walked out with everything I need for this child and more. One of the teachers introduced me to Bridge City Church, um, where I fell in love. Since being in the church, my relationship with God has grown tremendously. Um, just from having really good people in my life, people who lift me up in prayer daily, sometimes me knowing it, sometimes I don't know it, um, but I can feel God's presence on a much higher level than I think I've ever had, especially in this last year, because he's changed me quite a bit, and I truly believe that it's through God and through what he's doing through Bridge City. What an amazing testimony of what God is doing in Embrace Grace. When you give to these amazing organizations today, 100% of your gift goes towards providing care for women who are at the end of their rope. You'll be supporting young, single mothers in the area and also contributing towards prenatal care and services for abortion-vulnerable women. We provide many ways to give here at Bridge City. You can give online, text to give, give by mail, stop by one of our giving kiosks, or simply drop your offering in the basket on your way out. Remember, God loves it when we give cheerfully. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, that you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Let's give joyfully today as we consider these women and children in need.